I mentioned last Sunday evening that the study of the book of Jonah is certainly one of those studies that our young people are interested in. It captures their attention, captures their imagination. And you know, sometimes you may wonder why do you continue to go over this, the same stories year after year. We have to remember these young people are hearing this for the first time, many of them. And as they grow a little older, these messages from the Bible resonate in their minds. And I believe more and more people need to know exactly what God's Word has to say. On Friday evening, I rented the movie Noah. And uh, I decided I didn't want to pay to support them, but I would pay a cheap price to see it. And oh to God that he would allow some of these people in Hollywood to actually open their Bibles and read and see what it says. That was probably the greatest travesty of any religious-oriented movie I think I've ever seen in my life. Um, you have seen the movie, now you need to read the book. I'll just put it that way. It is so far off. But what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at Jonah Swallowed. Each week in the month of August, we're going to look at a different chapter. This week we're looking at chapter 2 of Jonah. And I want to point out to you that the account of Jonah is a startling reminder of obedience. When you and I open and read this book, we read these four chapters, it jumps out at you that God really expects you to do what he tells you to do. And sometimes we are resistant to God's commands. In many of us, it's a battle of wills. You and I want to do what we want to do. Our will, in many times, is what guides us. But I am reminded of what Jesus said in Luke twenty-two forty-two: Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We need to be the kind of people who think in our minds, God has told me what he wants to do. It is his will that must be done in everything we say and everything we do. But the truth is there's consequences to disobedience. When you and I choose to violate God's commands and charge, He has a way of showing us the error of our way and sometimes in really harsh fashion. This evening we're going to look at three things from chapter 2. We're going to look at, first of all, in verses 1 and 2, at His supplication. His prayer to God. What did he say to God? Then beginning with verse 3, going through verse 6, we're going to look at his suffering. I enjoy listening to Brother Ronnie read because he reads with such a deep voice with that authority. As you think about what Jonah suffered while he was in that great fish. But you know the third part is found in verses 7 through 10. It's his solution. He sees the way out of the fish. He sees the way to return to God. So let's begin with verses 1 and 2. I want to look at those couple of verses together again. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, 
and you heard my voice. You know what the Bible teaches us to do? James chapter 5, verse 13. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Jonah was in the filly of fish's belly, and there he said, I am going to call out to my God. When you are in times of trouble, when you are suffering, when you are having an affliction, that's when you ought to be crying out to God. Jonah was praying from the fish's belly, and God answered. Don't skip the fact that God answered Jonah while he was in this fish's belly. You know what the Bible teaches? I made reference to James 5 and verse 13. It talks about, is anyone suffering? Pray. You drop down to verse 16, and he says, Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I've often emphasized the effective or effectual, fervent prayer. I'd like to ask you a question just for you to ponder in your mind. Do you believe that Jonah's prayer was sincere? Do you believe that it was a fervent prayer? I don't have any doubt. But here he is. He's crying out to God because of the condition that he is in. As you scour the Old Testament and look at the concept of suffering and praying, Solomon captured it really well in Second Chronicles chapter 6. He's talking about the temple that has been built. And he says, when there's a famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locust or grasshoppers, when enemies besiege the land of their cities, wherever a plague or whatever sickness is there, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone, by all your people Israel, when each one knows his own burden and his own grief. Now stop there with me for just a moment. He's describing how the... The land may languish. The land may suffer. Sometimes it's your crops that are failing. Sometimes it's sickness that's taking upon you. Sometimes it is enemies that are coming into your border. And what do you do? He said, you pray. And he said, every man knows his own grief, his own burden. You know, tonight, I could go pew by pew, person by person, and say, what is your grief? What is your burden that you are carrying with you? Some of you may have some great ones. Some of you may have some small ones. But here he talks about that. He says, and spreads out his hand to this temple. Those are some Important words as Jonah will go on. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and give to everyone according to all his ways whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of the sons of men, that they may fear you to walk in your ways as long as they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. What you see as you continue to survey through the Old Testament you come to the life of a specific man like Hezekiah. And when you read the book of Hezekiah, 
You begin with chapter 20, verses 1 through 3 of 2 Kings. In the days of Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Let me ask you a question. Is that his burden? Is that his grief? Most certainly it is. What's Hezekiah going to do? Verse 2, Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, how I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. You see, there's, there's some common characteristics between what Jonah does and what Hezekiah does. Is they both look to God and they both cry out to God and ask God to help them. In verses 5 and 6, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. And on the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. Notice where he's going. To the temple, to the house of the Lord. And I will add to your days 15 years. You think about the supplication of Jonah. As he is in the belly of that great fish, there is an effectual fervent prayer being poured out. Then you go to verses 3 through 6, and you listen to Jonah as he speaks. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple the water surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped about my head, around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. I think about how vivid of a detail... You know, when Jonah describes this, I can see in my mind him in the belly of that great fish. Because he says he was in the deep. I'm not talking about shallow water where you can touch bottom. He describes him being in the heart of the seas. That's in the center. He describes the billows and the waves. I want you to imagine being thrown overboard and being tossed about and now a fish is taking hold of you. But that doesn't mean the waves have stopped. You're being sloshed around. He said, the deep closed around me. You know, as that fish went deep into the water, the pressure, you know, as you go deeper in water, the, the water pressure begins to press on your skin and your head begins to, to hurt and you begin to feel the pressure uh, pressing around you. And that's what Jonah describes here. Imagine this fish diving down deep like bars closing around him. Weeds wrapped about my head. He's in the belly of this fish with everything else that fish is eating. With everything else that's been consumed and weeds are wrapped around his head. 
He's probably got his arms by his side and he can't reach up there and pull those weeds off. What is he going to do? And yet, when you get to verse 6, he said, Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. He recognized as he is in the belly of this great fish and everything that's suffering round about him, he still recognizes God is taking care of him. Jonah realized his suffering was the result of his disobedience. He knew what he had done. He knew he'd ran away from God's orders. As you look through the Bible, you find people who, after they have done what is wrong, really come to their senses. I think about the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15, verses 14 through 19, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. How bad? Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And here's the key, verse 16. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. He's so hungry he had eat the pig slop, but nobody's even given him pig slop. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, and he said, How many of my father's hired servants have enough bread or have bread enough to spare? And here I am perished with hunger. You look at the prodigal son. He recognized, why am I so hungry? Why am I in this condition? Because of what I've done. And I've got to make some changes. I've got to go back to my father. The penitent thief on the cross recognized that. In Luke 23, verse 41, the two thieves are on either side, two robbers more accurately. And one of them is casting a railing accusation against our Lord. And the penitent one says, And we indeed justly, for we receive the due rewards of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. As that thief is hanging there on the cross, he knows I'm getting what I deserved. I'm suffering, but I'm the one who did it. Ezra the priest, as he assembled together all the children of Israel, and he looked at the suffering that they had gone through, that Babylonian captivity, and he said in chapter 9 and verse 13, After all this has come upon us for the evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve and have given us such a deliverance as this. Ezra looks and says, God, we didn't get what we deserved. Let me ask you a question. What did Jonah deserve? Jonah disobeyed God. Jonah deserved to be thrown into that sea and drowned. But you see, God gave him a chance to be in the fish's belly and to cry out, and God heard him. It's wonderful when our suffering leads us to do a self-evaluation and say, is what's happening to me my fault? So now look with me at verses 7 through 10 as a solution is proposed. 
When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. Jonah realized that God alone was a source of deliverance. And he even makes reference to the fact that these people sometimes pursue foolishness in following after idols. And they, in doing so, they cut themselves off from the mercy of God. When people go after things that are not God for their deliverance, they're showing how foolish they really are. So here's Jonah's solution. I will pay what I have vowed. Now there's a couple of ways of looking at this. Both of them end up in the same place. It's very possible that Jonah made a vow to God when he first became a prophet. We talked about last week that he was a known prophet from Gath Hefer. But here he is, and now he says, I'm going to pay what I vow. Maybe that vow from the very beginning, I'm going to live up to what obligations I have made. Or it may be that here in the belly of this great fish, he has said, God, you now have my attention, and I'm going to do exactly what you told me to do, and I vow that I will do it. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 through 23 is very specific. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, it will, shall not be a sin to you. That which is gone from your lips, you shall keep and perform. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Solomon shortened it a little bit, but said the same thing in Ecclesiastes 5, verses 4 and 5. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for it has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Same idea. Jonah says, I'm going to pay what I've vowed. I'm going to do what I have promised to do. Now that is the message of chapter 2, but we've got to apply it just a little bit. Because we can look at Jonah all day long and say, Jonah, you messed up. You should have followed through. Well, Number one, when times are tough, we need to start talking to God. One thing that I have observed is there's a lot of praying in the book of Jonah. Chapter one, it's even the sailors, the mariners who are on the boat with Jonah, everybody's crying out to his God. Chapter two, now Jonah's crying out to the real God. What you understand is that in times of trouble, we need to be people that pray. Sometimes these problems, the toughness comes because of things that are beyond our control. You really need to pray then. 
Because if it's beyond your control, it's not beyond God's control. And so you ask God to help you with that situation. But sometimes they're tough because of our own choices. And that's when you ask God to forgive you for your foolishness. Lord, I recognize I'm suffering now and I deserve it. Help me to overcome it. When you look at David, you can see both. If you go to 2 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 through 7, and I'm not going to belabor this, but Saul's after David. And there's nothing that David can do to get Saul to leave him alone. David's trying to persuade Saul, I'm not your enemy. I'm not trying to undermine you. I could have killed you, but I didn't kill you. Verse 4, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. When the waves of death surrounded me, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called out to the Lord and I cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry entered his ears. In Psalm 32, though, David recognized that some of the suffering that he was enduring was his own. One of his penitential psalms, he says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What a picture of forgiveness. As one cries out to God. God wants us to call upon Him. So you, the first thing you do when times are tough, you call out to God. Number two, you focus on spiritual things. Jonah twice spoke of the temple of God. Look at verse 7 and verse 4. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will again look toward your holy temple. Verse 7 when my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. That's where God is. You know, sometimes people, when they're going through troubles, look everywhere but to God and look everywhere but to our faith in Him. And you should never blame God for your condition, but see God as the only one who can save. One does not need less spiritual reinforcement during that time, but more. And often, Jonah chapter 2 has been called running to God. As you think about Jonah, he was swallowed by a great fish. But he's also swallowed by sorrow for sin. That's hard to think about sometimes, but... Jonah, while he was in the belly of that great fish, saw himself or who he was. I'm a sinner. And as a sinner, I am running away from God. Godly sorrow leads a person to repentance. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Jonah was a man who had godly sorrow in his heart. Tonight, 
the lesson you and I can learn is why not come running back to our loving, holy God who wants us to serve Him well. We're going to sing this song of encouragement. If you need to become a Christian by being baptized for the remission of your sins, or if you are a Christian and you have sin that you are struggling with in your life, let's pray to God for you. Would you come as we stand and sing?